What's going on, guys? Hopefully everyone is enjoying the end of their summer uh, coming up on football season. It's getting here uh, sooner than you guys know it. Um, hopefully you're enjoying the podcast. You're enjoying everything runthepower.com uh, has has helped you guys out with and that you guys have helped us with. If you need uh, any more football information, head to runthepower.com. We've got all of our podcast episodes up there, which, again, are always absolutely free. Uh, head up there to be a free standard member of our website. You can also uh, pay to be a premium member where we're, uh, we've got now five series, five different series that we're uh, streaming new episodes every month to those series. Uh, you guys can enjoy those as premium members. Also, premium members get a discount uh, for all of our uh, virtual summits. So we've got our RTP summit that was last February and then the hot O-line hot summit, which just concluded at the end of June. You guys can get all that stuff on our website, runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product uh, over four months ago, uh, and it's been a game changer for us all off season. Uh, we especially obviously love the playbook tools allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes. Uh, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, those are kind of our staples, uh, and, and save those against different formations. Uh, so it saves us a lot of time and we can be more productive. Also allows us to save our, our three general defenses with over, under, uh, and then odd. And so it saves us a lot of time. Uh, they do all, uh, have an amazing playbook. It's called My Just Play, a personal playbook tool for coaches at all levels. Uh, you can create and organize your playbook with terminology, diagrams, video, and assignments, um, all starting at just $10 a month. You guys can go check them out for more details at um, justplaysolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do that today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and to start your 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com. Team Builder. It's team, B-U-I-L-D-R dot com. And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Huddle. Huddle Assist is like having your own personal analytics director on staff. The metric gurus will cover the performance and scouting data for every one of your games and your opponent's games this season. 16 columns of data and advanced reports in less than 24 hours will supercharge your post-game workflow and next week's prep. And unlimited breakdowns means your director can analyze as many games as you want through the season. Really, it's completely unlimited. Picture the scouting report you can create when you have all the data from, say, five of your opponent's previous games. You'll know their tendencies so well you'll be able to predict what they plan to do before they do it. That's what we'd call a competitive advantage. So what are you waiting for? Now is the time to do what more than one-third of high school football teams have already done. Add assist to your huddle subscription. Go to huddle.com slash RTP assist for all the details, including how it works and pricing. Again, the website is huddle.com slash RTP assist. On this episode of RTP, we talk with KJ Stroud. Coach Stroud is the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach at Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn, New York. Listen as we talk with Coach 
Stroud about his football journey from the NFL to coordinating high school offenses, how he attacks defense with the intermediate passing game, and coaching football in America's biggest city. You can call follow Coach Stroud on Twitter at KJStroud10. Hope you guys enjoy. Pretty much, I started playing, you know, from young. Fell in love with it. Fell in love with a game. Uh, everybody in my family is pretty much basketball guys. Well, you know, I tried to take a different toll and take a, a different path, and fell in love with football. Played high school ball up in New York. Uh, went to Fork Union Military Academy down in uh, Virginia. Played for John Schumann down there. From there, I went to Rutgers. Played for Greg Schiano. After uh, my junior year, I transferred to Bethune-Cookman, played for Brian Jenkins, and was fortunate enough to play this game professionally with the New York Jets. At the, head, at the time, the head coach was Rex Ryan. Uh, you know, got cut, fell in love with the game. Still, you know, kept my love for the game and fell in love with coaching. Took my first opportunity as a receivers coach. I volunteered my services at Grand Street Campus. Then from there, the opportunity, you know, came forth, and. Now, here I am today, the offensive coordinator at the Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn, New York. Coach, what years were you at Rutgers? I was there from 2008 to 2011. Oh, I got you. Okay, we played uh, – I was at Houston, we played Rutgers, but it would have been uh, probably 13 or 14. So, uh, I didn't – I don't remember even who the head coach was, so I wanted to, to check with that. Um, what is uh, – you know, both being kind of Southern guys, I don't know if, if Wall's – counts as Southern. He's, you know, more of a Yankee to me, but uh, being a Southern guy my whole <laughs> life, uh, you don't hear a whole lot about, uh, at least down here, New York football. Um, you know, for us, it's more you hear about the North- Northeastern states being, uh, like you said, kind of heavy basketball. Uh, right. What is the the high school football? Um, is it, I- I'm sure there's still great athletes everywhere. So uh, oh, man. what is that game uh, like up there? It's changing drastically, man. I mean, from the I can remember back when I was in high school, right? You had to send out your tape. Nowadays, you know, these kids are, you know, have such a great, you know, benefit with social media. Now they get to just, you know, send their tape out with the click of a button. And here it is. Now we're getting schools like LSU coming up here. We're getting schools from uh, the South. We're getting uh, schools from out West. So football recruiting-wise in New York City has has di- taken a, a different turn, and like. You know, the game up here is just like anywhere else. Uh, we, sure. The only difference is with us, you know, in, in the summer – well, not in the summer, but in the spring, you know, we got different rules when it comes to spring football and stuff like that. You guys get a spring game, whereas in New York, we kind of, you know, got certain rules we got to abide by. But we work we work our ways, you know, getting the most out of our kids, you know, so that they have at least, a, 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 you know, a competitive hand when it comes to, you know, competing and recruiting against the other states. Coach, do you find, you know, kind of being in the, the city in the metro area there that, you know, football is kind of still dominated by some of the private schools? I think can you talk a little bit about maybe the competition there is, you know, for athletes or, you know, kind of having a little bit of that arms race or, you know, whatever it might be to, to make your school look a little bit more attractive as far as a, as a football school is concerned? I mean, is that do you guys see a lot of that or is it still kind of, you know, old I mean, for us. For, you know, for the public school that I'm at, so this is, the public school I'm at is Erasmus Hall. This is the mecca of 
New York City football. Like, if there is any place any coach would want to coach at, it's Erasmus Hall. Has a great tradition, great history. So when it comes to, you know, like you said, private schools, it's kind of like, all right, if my kid can't get into Erasmus, then it's like, let's go to those, let's go to those other options where private school and et cetera. But like I said, when it, when it comes to, you know, competing, it's like, hey, you kind of measure yourselves up against, you know, us. And then it's like, all right, what's after us? And, you know, you got your Lincolns, you got your Tottenvilles, you got your different high schools who are always in the final four of things. But like, like I said, when it comes to private school, you, you guys kind of like, you know, you bypassed it and you're like looking forward to being that, that powerhouse and with that being us, Erasmus Hall. Coach, you know, you, you, like you said, you get to play in the, the highest level of football. Um, then, you know, it's obvious, like you said, it, it's kind of over. You're not playing football anymore. Now it's coaching. And, and I can just speak from experience. I've wanted to be a coach my whole life. But um, when it was finally time that they told me they didn't want me to play football anymore, um, right. you know, by, by the coaches, they didn't, no one picked me up. No one wanted me to play football anymore. Um, you know, even though I wanted to be a coach my whole life, it was, it was kind of a, a weird year for me. Uh, was it, was it an easy transition for you or, or did you kind of go through, uh, maybe some of those same things, uh, you know, those first couple of years, that first year, uh, going from a player to a coach? I mean, I went through my, I would say, I'm going to call it a dark phase. I went through my dark phase where, you know, I don't say it was as long. But, you know, I went through that dark phase where you feel like, all right, what's next? And that transition wanting to coach, like, I always enjoyed, you know, helping the youth. Like, I can remember, like, training, training during my pro day and training for, you know, going to training camp for the Jets. And once my workouts were done, I would stay around and, like, help the high school kids that, you know, that came and worked out at the same facility I was working out at. And slowly I started to grow that passion, you know what I mean? Like, growing that passion, teaching guys techniques that I learned throughout my playing career in college and in the pros. And it was just like, you know, it was, it was fascinating seeing some of the kids apply some of the simple techniques that I was able to show them during my time when I was home, you know, training, you know, for training camp. So that transition really wasn't a long one because I kind of felt my, you know, I kind of felt my passion again mm-hmm. as I was, you know, preparing for myself. Coach, man, you, so now you're, you're going into, you know, a big-time job there at Erasmus Hall as, as the offensive coordinator. You know, talk to me a little bit about kind of like your philosophy, you know, knowing you've, you've been in the NFL, you, you've played, you know, some, some big-time college ball. What are some things maybe you kind of pulled from that? Um, or maybe it's even old coaches, but, you know, having to kind of build now your own offense, your own identity, your own philosophy, and then part that into, you know, not only just your staff, but also your players. You know, talk to me a little bit about how you kind of, you know, put that together and then implemented it. So at the time when I was with the Jets, uh, the offense coordinator was Marty Morningway. He ran a West Coast system where he uh, was in Philadelphia. He, uh, he also worked in Green Bay when he had Brett Favre. But, um, and my offense coordinator in college was Kurt Sharaka, where he was at Delaware when he had Joe Flacco. And, he, you know, Joe Flacco lit it up when he was at Delaware. But it's a combination of, a, you know, a West Coast, pro-style, you know, West Coast spread offense. And I have a huge passion for the intermediate passing game, right? And that ages back all the way to Bill Walsh. For anybody who doesn't know, you know, the intermediate passing game is, you know, those routes that are like 10 to 15 yards down the field. And, you know, I just have an appreciation for it just because, 
you don't need a quarterback that has a strong arm. And I could tell you recruiting in New York City, that's probably one of the hardest positions to legit find is, is a quarterback, right? You, you try to find – you don't – you try to find that guy who has a strong arm. It's not too many of them. So you're, you're spending a lot of time trying to get guys to understand, hey, we're going to nickel and dime our way down the field and, you know, be effective throwing the ball underneath. So pretty much my offense is a, is a combination of, you know, short – underneath passes, you know, with some basic concepts from, uh, you know, the NFL level. And, you know, I, I've had some success with it thus far going into year three with it, and I'm looking forward to expanding and doing a little bit more. Is, is that something, you know, it, it seems like a, a, lot of, a lot of teams are moving away from it because the, the proliferation of, of the RPO. Do you think – and that. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, are you still like a drop back type guy that that's throwing the ball in the intermediate zones or have you maybe kind of morphed it a little bit more with, you know, the, the RPO to where we're, we're reading some of those second level defenders. So in my offense is a combination of both. Like, yes, we have to evolve with time. And yes, right now the league is going to RPO. So yes, it does exist in our offense where we have about 11 RPOs that we run at a high tempo, right? We try to work that tempo, trying to get the defense off balance. But yeah. then I also have in our offense, you know, a traditional drop back. I think you have to have that, mm-hmm. right? You, you can't just have, you know, the quick game and the RPO as you're, you're passing because now you're limiting your quarterbacks and you, you kind of you uh, handicap them to the other side of the game. Well, whereas their footwork's not the same, they're used to just reading a guy, reading a spot, you know, just replacing a guy. So it's a combination of, of the both RPO and drop back. Coach, obviously with West Coast, it's always been uh, – I've only looked at it as an offensive line guy, but the, the big things that I think jump out to everyone is, is the, uh, the massive verbiage that um, uh, the old school West Coast offense always had. Yeah. Is that something that you've morphed into not needing all those words and all those tags with your offense to be able to do uh, some more multiple things? So we don't have all the tags where you got the whole motion deal, the shifts and everything. I kind of just one word it all. You one word it all so the kids kind of like automatically know that there's built-in motions, there's, there's built-in tags into it. Once you get all tongue-twisty with the verbiage, you'll, you'll, lose, you'll lose, you know, teenagers. I try to keep it as simple as possible with simple colors, you know, simple words. I try to find a way to, you know, find a rhyme or reason for some of the things that I call so it's easy for the kids to remember and they kind of think of it being cool you know this you know this this generation's all about things being you know hip and they're really into abbreviating everything so if I could find a way to make it cool and catchy for them to memorize it I'm going to do that just so it's easy for them and it's my job as a coach to kind of evolve each year with with time as I go on you know making suggestions and changing you know play calls Coach, what are some of your kind of go-to, you know, either intermediate throws or, or some of your favorite concepts? You know, we, we talk a lot on here kind of like your, your day one installs probably being plays you're going to call, you know, a lot. So what might be some of your, you know, day one installs as far as the passing game is concerned? I'm always interested in that. So I'll give you, a, I'll give you, I'll give you three in particular. Uh, we got a double dig concept where it's ran out of two-by-two. Two. You can run out pretty much out of every, every formation, but primarily run out of two-by-two. Two. You got the double dig on the front side. You got you gotta, the outside guys run a 14-yard speed dig. The inside slot receivers run a seven-yard, you know, smaller dig. The back is running the out. On the weak side, the X is running a hitch. And uh, the F in the slot is running the seam. 
with rotation, let's say the defense rolls cover three to two by two, you know you're working that hit steam side. You got cover two, you know a dig is a dig. You're reading that outside backer. Verse four, you know dig is a dig. You're reading that that outside backer. So pretty much, with that being said, you're able to you know move around and do you know run the same exact concept from trips. You may you're able to run that same concept from a bunch formation. You know from an empty where the guys are still running the same route. Like the Z will always have the dig, but you know, from a defensive standpoint, you, you try to dress it up differently with a formation, but you try to make it as simple as a concept for the, you know, for your offensive guys. So that's, that's probably one concept. You know, we got the traditional Hank concept. So some of the verbiage that I'm using isn't how I kind of give it to the kids. And I'm not going to put that on there because yeah, it's kind of catchy. <laughs> it's kind of catchy if I actually use the names, but. You know, Hank is pretty much curl flat, yep. Yep. and we, uh, you know, we implemented that in our offense, and you know, still got the levels concept. And this past this past off season, I was able to sit down with Ryan Day. My head coach is really good friends with Urban Meyer, so I was fortunate enough to sit down with Ryan Day, and I fell in love with with the mesh, with the mesh concept, and and you know, I got guys who could, you know, are really good at run after catch guys, so. So now, you know, we incorporated mesh this offseason, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to look on the field. Coach, as the OC, are, are you also the, the wide receivers coach? Do you get to uh, uh, be around those guys as well quite a bit, or are you more big picture OC? So pretty much, you know, I, I shadow the receivers. You know, I spend as much time I, – I try not to spend as much time as, as I, you know, have to over there because there's, there's a bigger purpose to what my, what my job description is. Like, I have somebody who, you know, who's attentive to what needs to be done. We kind of, like, run ideas back and forth on, like, you know, individual, you know, route, you know, routes on there and stuff like that. But I got to I gotta move around. My head coach kills me when I kind of go over to my babies and my babies being my receiver. So I got to spread gonna, love across the whole offense. I was going to say, because uh, anytime I ever think I, – I'm nowhere near it, but anytime I ever think about – you know, making a jump from uh, offensive line coach to OC, I'm always like, I, I just don't think I'd want to be away from my lineman. It, was that something that was tough for you to do? Because, uh, you, you know, as a as a guy that played it and then, you know, I'm sure loves receivers, uh, it, it would be, I would think, the best part of practice for, for a few years that you were coaching was individual and getting better at all the minutia, little details. And now – like you said, you kind of got to step away and see the big picture, which I'm sure is is great in its own its own. But um, so so many years that you spent uh, perfecting your craft, now you you kind of got to give that up to somebody else. Uh, it's it's not hard to give it up just because you know <laughs> I, you got to have that relationship. You got to build that trust with the guy that you know you're gonna you're gonna put over there. And at the same time, it's just you always, you as a, as a coach, you always want to constantly learn. So the more you know, the more valuable you are. It doesn't matter if you're a player or a coach. So being able to step away and be able to stand next to the lineman, because truth be told, like, when I actually get the opportunity to step over and go over there, it's, like, it's fascinating. Like, you know, like, this is some of the things that they do that, you know, make the the artwork on the field actually look good, you know. So you have an appreciation, you know, being able to, you know, step away and learn and check out the other positions. Well, whether you're standing with the running back or whether you're doing quarterback exchange with the center, like, those little things you just appreciate and you just become more of a, you know, more of a complete coach when you, when you have a complete understanding of everything. 
How much – when you were a receiver and, and playing receiver, how much did you get to uh, – when you're just strictly a player, how much did you get to pay attention to the run game? Because I, I know we always make fun of – or at least we did when I was playing. We always made fun of the receivers and said, all you guys do is go over there and catch catch footballs and don't have to do anything oh, else. Wow. As, a, as a joke, obviously. But um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm sure you guys had to had to be locked in, I'm sure, a lot more in the, in the NFL with the run game. Uh, was that something that – you started picking up in your playing days or something that you just that, dove, dove into as a coach? That definitely stemmed from in college. I had a, you know, I had, Greg, I had Greg Shiano as a head coach, and he was very detail-oriented. And in order to play for Coach Shiano, you had to know the whole scheme of things. Like, you, you couldn't just know what your assignment was and think you were going to step on that field and play. You know, he, demand, you know, he demanded that you understood – a play's whole entirety. So it, so if I was out there on a run play, you had to understand why are you backside cutting off? Why are you, you know, most MDM on a, on a block inside the boundary? Like, he was so attentive to detail and making sure that the players understood the other 10 guys who were on the field that, you know, translating over to being a coach, it was just like you just couldn't be one-sided to one position. You had to – so the, the, the knowledge of a whole, you know – what the other 10 guys on the field are doing was already expanded from my days in college. So when it came to, you know, being a professional and stuff like that, it was already instilled from my freshman year in college. Is that something you're doing currently now, like in high school? And if so, you know, how, how are you kind of teaching that, that big picture view, especially to, you know, the, the guys on the perimeter? Because I couldn't agree with you more, Coach. I think when, when those guys on the perimeter understand all of those things, it, it, it feels like they're a lot more bought in. And I think you also kind of knock a little bit of the prima donnaness out of the position as well. Absolutely. I, I can remember my first day at Erasmus. And, well, I won't say my first day. It was one of my very first, you know, in the first months of being at Erasmus. I had a receiver. He's at, he's at uh, West Virginia right now. His name's Sean Ryan. And he told me he played split in on the left. I said, you know, when he said I played split in on the left, I, told, I go, so what about the right side? I said, so now you're just going to limit how much, you know, you can do within our offense because you say you just play splitting on the left. So now as a coach, I always tell guys, you play receiver. There's, no such, there's not much of a difference. Well, there is a difference between playing outside and inside, but there's not so much of a big difference. Like I can remember my first two years in college, I was playing the inside receiver and then going to my, going to my out, you know, going into my, my last two years, I played more of the outside. So I think the more you learn – the better understanding you have of a concept where you could tell some guys and you could tell some guys, hey, I, you got a deep post. In their mind, they think they're running the deep post across the whole entire field, not understanding that, hey, there's other concepts, there's other routes coming behind it, what you're doing. So the more you can press and stress to your guys, hey, learn, learn the entire concept, learn each position, because now you're more valuable. Now you have a higher possibility of playing if someone goes down or someone's cramping up or somebody, you know, fatigued. Now you've just increase your value tremendously but if you're just somebody who plays outside receiver now you you know limit your chances of getting on the football field yeah I totally agree with that I think it, and then obviously you know like, like you're saying when I have that that deep level understanding of concepts I think now it takes your your offense to the whole next level because now guys learn how to you know adjust routes or you know mm -hmm. adjust things versus coverages or you know understand they're not Absolutely. just the lines on the whiteboard you know the more that they understand about that stuff all of a sudden you see them you know make more plays to where they're actually running to space and they're on the same yep. page with QB and that's exactly what it, uh in my offense you know once you get an understanding of it you have that freedom to you know 
hook up on a dig or hook up on a, you know, on an out route where the flat defender's cheating you to your spot. You could just stop and sit in that gray area. I think the better understanding you have of your concepts and what you're doing, the more you could quote-unquote freelance within the offense without breaking the integrity. Coach, probably one of my favorite things about watching some of the NFL games is is watching guys like uh, I just the one person that comes to mind for me anyways is, is Larry Fitzgerald and how uh, they, they've kind of in years past used him in the run game uh, as far as you know almost like a, a, a wing on inside zone uh, he'll, mm-hmm. he'll kind of be the backside of power um, they get to or counter and, and get to really add him in in the run game and, and they don't make him do too much but. Uh, he, he is important in it, and it, and it lets them be in some of their um, spread personnels and still be able to run some heavy uh, runs. Is that anything you guys get to at your high school, um, or are you guys uh, haven't necessarily put some of that stuff in? So we do run the set where there's an H-back. I can tell you that's probably the hardest position, one of the hardest positions to find in New York because you're trying to find that guy who can block like a lineman but still have the athleticism of a receiver. Right. So, I, so as you know, last year we, we, we mixed it up a bit. We, uh, we used uh, extra linemen sometimes. We used uh, a receiver sometimes. And, you know, it, it's hard. It, it, it's, really, it's, it's challenging to find that guy who can, who's that true H-back. But uh, we definitely implemented that in our offense. Like, it was big for us in our RPO game. You know, getting that guy out in the flat where he's uh, where you know he's not kicking back, he's not kicking out in that DN, and he's going to the flats, or you know he's replacing that mic when you're running like a stretch, outside stretch the RPO. So you know, like I said, it's just finding that guy mm-hmm. where you're not taking from the, you know a position of need, right? I can easily I can easily put a DN. We got a DN on our team who's about six five. I could easily put put him there. But it's like, you know, you don't want him to – he's more meaningful on defense than he, than he would be on offense. So it's like trying to find that guy who can take that role on full time. Yeah, that's, the, that's what we, you know, seem to run into down here with, with tight ends. Uh, we're a more heavy personnel – not real heavy, but 21 personnel based out of 21. And it's like we'd love to have a, a tight end that's our tight end sophomore, junior, senior year. Uh, but it ends mm-hmm. up, you know, we normally just get – uh, the best of the rest linebacker or defensive end. Right, uh, absolutely. Because if you're a sophomore and, and you're that freaky looking, you're probably playing linebacker or you're playing defensive end or you're playing something uh, a little more in what we would dub as important than tight end. So, uh, you know, we're kind of piecing guys in at the tight end position, like you said, either with offensive linemen or the third best linebacker. And so uh, it, it's kind of unfortunate sometimes how that works in high school when those uh, colleges get them. Uh, they're big, freaky tight ends. Oh yeah, they got those big six, 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 seven guys who can run, who can, you know, get down and gritty and and, and uh, block down on a nine. It's just it's hard. It's hard finding that that athletic guy who, you know, can go out there and catch footballs. Because I know this much: if I could find one, that's definitely a mismatch. Uh-huh. That's a mismatch you exploit. Those are the guys, man. You build the you build the special offense around. You know the the Gronkowski's, and that's you know the the Patriots yep. are finding how hard it is to replace him now. They've they've brought in like three or four dudes, and they just keep cutting them. And I think it's gonna be hard. It's like, oh, he's not Gronkowski. Well, no crap. There's not many Gronkowski's out there. Yeah, there's not many Gronks out there, man. He's a special he's a special kind of guy. Well, coach, I like what you said. You know about like you know what you'll you'll do with that H back. I mean, 
it, it's kind of one of those deals where you can really play to this to the strengths of that kid. You know, I mean, if if he's not the greatest one-on-one blocker, obviously now you yeah. have him as an RPO guy, or maybe he's pretty good in space. You know, he's he's almost like a running back type. You, know, you can flip him the little flat screen or or let him do some of that. And then honestly, you know, as a as a tendency breaker, when you you run into some of those teams that maybe they have some smaller linebackers, now maybe you run. Yeah. A couple plays where he does you know insert on it so at least now a d coordinator is like oh hey they will run some you know backside iso with him or he kicks out on power or something like that but you know yep. I, I, I think that's the cool thing about you know being a coordinator and you know you, you've obviously you know moved around and learned a lot of positions yourself but finding what that kid does well and let's play to his strengths absolutely and then it also gives you an extra gap an extra gap in the run game uh gives you know i know for us that's what that's why we're pretty big on it because it gives us that extra gap just having that, you know, that that extra dude in there just to, you know, protect and pass, you know, pass protection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's great if you could definitely find one that's, you know, athletic. Yeah, I think, yeah, the, the more you I mean you see the teams that, that want to play 10 personnel or even just straight, you know, just straight up 11, you know, not moving the guy off. You know, it just limits yeah. you so much in in the run game. You know, you're, you're, you're going to be able to run, you know, about three schemes, maybe four schemes, whereas – all of a sudden now he turns into kind of a, a semi fullback that literally just multiplies everything you can do. Like you said, with that added gap, not to mention which linebacker or DN I'm putting that dude on. Yep. Absolutely. Coach, man, you, you talk also about the, the West coast system. And, and one of the things, you know, when I was growing up is the, the, the offense that I studied and, and grew up on too. Um, I, I was always enamored by like, like situational football. So obviously huge in the NFL, huge with the, the West Coast system. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe you practice situations or, you know, your scheming situations or your game planning for situations, you know, be it third down, red zone, score zone, whatever, whatever you guys call it. Can you talk a little bit about that, being an offensive coordinator, the emphasis you guys put on it? So pretty much we divided into four zones, blue zone, gold zone, green zone, red zone. And, you know, you go through a list of your top four try to have four plays going into each of those zones that you're going to call. And pretty much, you know, just trying to, you know, put our teams in positive situations, right? You don't want to call something, you know, your quarterback doesn't feel comfortable with. So throughout the week, you know, we put emphasis on like, you know, that first, first and second down. Later on in the week, probably on like a Wednesday, we're going to third. And then uh, third, I say third about short yard situation. Then once we, once we get a little bit closer towards, you know, like the back end of the game, we, we get closer to the two-point conversion and so on and so forth. And, you know, you try to just have, like, top, you know, four plays where guys are going to expect you to call in these situations. So they're kind of not out, out there thinking, where they're out there just out there playing. And I do a really good job of just trying to, you know, script, you know, the first ten plays that we'll call. If we're on schedule, obviously. But, you know, just, you know, asking the quarterback, you know, what does he think? You know, how do you feel? You know, how do you feel about certain, these certain play calls? And if they don't like them, you know, coming through walkthrough, we're getting rid of them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's pretty much, you know, that's pretty much, you know, how we get after it. But, uh, yeah, again, like, like I said, we split into zones and, you know, just trying to get our guys into situations where they can succeed. And he, I, I do a really good job of making sure, you know, certain guys are getting their touches where there's a there's a count on how many carries, or, you know, our running back gets, you know, one of our top receivers gets. You know, there's guys, like on any football team, there's guys that you have to get the ball to to win. And, as a coach, I'm pretty sure you know that. Mm-hmm. There's no mystery to it, and you try to get those guys the ball as much as possible. 
as well as sprinkling in your other guys just so that they, you know, don't feel left out. That's something that not many – I don't hear a lot from high school coaches, but I think is unbelievably important is, is, and Coach Walls always was the first person I ever heard do it, and now uh, I steal it whenever I call the JV games, but um, uh, is ask the quarterback, what, what do you feel about your, you know, these past concepts? What do you feel good about this week? You know, because if, you, if you're going to call it, even if you love it, but the quarterback has no confidence in it, yeah. it's not going to work in the game. Absolutely. You got to have that, that good communication with him, with your quarterback. Being so, he, he's the coach on the field. And if he doesn't like it, I mean, as a coach, you know, you, you look at your play sheet and you're like, yes, I like this, I like that. You, you know, you, you jump around because you understand it. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure those 11 guys that step on the field understand and You want to make sure that that quarterback understands what's going on because he has to feel confident that the other 10 guys on the field feel confident so that, you know, you're, you're, your idea or your your play call your play goes out there and it's executed at you know 100 percent across the board i i think that's it's so true man i mean getting getting that input and and buying from but like as the oc i think so sometimes you you have to like sell guys on it too like i mean absolutely the coach you got to be the salesman and and when I'm when I'm installing the play and I know it's going to work, I got to be like excited about it, you know. So when they can kind of feel my excitement about it, and it's like, hey man, when I call this, you guys are scoring, or you know, we know where the ball is going. This is the look we call. It's going to be there, and, and let's roll with it. When I, when I could build that confidence, you know, in the the receiver or two that the concept was going to, and then the QB, and then boom, when they saw it work a couple times, all of a sudden now, man, your street cred just kind of goes through the roof. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they start smiling at you. You, you. you know, you start getting that coach knows knows what he's talking about type deal. That's right. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing worse than than really thinking a play sucks and then you got to go run it. I remember uh, in Houston they wanted to force feed like a diamond a diamond formation with three skilled guys and they stole it from OSU because they showed all the film on it. I never saw OSU hit it very very well. And after our first few games, we never hit it very well out of diamond. So. I remember every time that was called, uh, anything out of that diamond formation, we all just were going up to the line. We're like, this sucks. This isn't going to work. And so, <laughs> I mean, we still, I guess, play pretty hard through it. But um, I, there's no way uh, that was a very good uh, – as good as it could have been if, if we had bought in a little bit to it. There's nothing wrong with, you know, copycatting a little bit. I think everybody copycats from, you know, everyone to yeah. a certain degree. But at least have an understanding of what you're doing and why you're doing it. All right, just don't, just don't, you know, see, see what you see on Saturdays or Sundays and try to implement in your offense, especially at the high school level, because, you know, you know, kids can tell when you're kind of BSing them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they kind of can tell when you're just out there drawing in the sand. So make sure you understand exactly what's going on so you can give a confident message. And don't think kids can't hear in your tone and your delivery if you know what you're talking about. And, you know, they have, like, a weird way of looking at, looking at you and kind of having a feel for your confidence in what you're doing. So you got to make sure you know exactly what you're calling and why you're calling it and make, you know, and have a reason, reason for it all. Coach, obviously to, to have a, a successful program in high school, you, you got to build it, you know, through the junior varsity ranks. Uh, so those guys are ready to go and, and ready to go maybe even the next year. Uh, each state's a little different. We in Oklahoma, you know, our JV games are Mondays and our varsity games are Fridays. But I think Texas and and maybe even Iowa, I know they have Thursday JV games. Uh, what what days are your guys' JV games in, in New York? 
So our JV games are on Sundays. Our varsity, we play a combination of Friday and Saturdays. And, uh, you know, for us, we try to play as many Friday games as possible. Gives us the flexibility to, you know, watch. We got a lot of kids in college right now. So it gives us our Saturdays off so we can kind of, you know, hit the, hit the road and go check out some college games. But, uh, yeah, uh, Fridays, Friday and Saturdays for the varsity level and uh, Sundays for the JV level. So you'll play whatever team you played on Friday, then your JV turns around and plays them on Sunday? Uh, sometimes. That's sometimes. how we try to map it out. Yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes sure, it, sure, it sure. isn't always like that, but, but we try to try to map it out like that. Does your Is your guys' schedule then, do you, do you play like a JV game first? So let's say like, you know, that first week you play a JV game on a Sunday and then you'll play that Friday, or is it your guys, the first thing you guys do is open yes. up with varsity? Uh, JV would – a JV team will play first, and then that's coming into that week. The varsity game will be on that Friday, Saturday. I got gotcha. you. See, to me, that to me that makes a lot more sense. You know, play that game early in the week, and then if you do have some kids that maybe you know kind of play both, or you got special teams, now they got all that time to be able to recover. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, I was going to ask you. Know, Coach Harper was was telling the the story about you know having having the the formation of the play that didn't work. I was going to ask you if you ever had like the moments we'd be in college or, or the NFL and you're like, man, what the heck are we doing? What, why are we calling this? There's no way this is going to work. Like I, I always think about like the, the Indianapolis Colts when they had that stupid fake punt they were going to run and the guy, yeah. the guy walked up and got the snap. It's like, what the heck? Who, who thought that was a good idea? I wonder if you had any stories like that. Uh, I had two, two instances where they had some pretty cool play calls, right? I, they weren't stupid, but they were just a good use of personnel. So before I got to Erasmus, I had a, I had a. There was an athlete there that played receiver. You know, he played he played quarterback, but now in college he plays receiver at Wisconsin, and he was dynamic. I mean, lights out, amazing athlete. I just knew he was going to play receiver in college, so I moved him to receiver as soon as I got there, and I put a different kid at quarterback. But me being a coach and being clever, I lined him up at quarterback. My, my my quarterback, at, the actual quarterback at the time, he was, you know, he wasn't the most athletic guy, but he had really good hands. Quarterbacks are supposed to have the best hands on the team, yeah. so they say. But, that's you know, in his case, that was true. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of funny because I called him over to the sideline, you know, just to, you know, give him a heads up on the play, and I realized nobody walked out to him. So I told him to stand there. We ran, I think, outside zone, quarterback, you know, quarterback stretch, to the, to the other team's sideline. Mm-hmm. No one was guarding the quarterback as he was standing there talking to me. So I got the offense to hurry up, and I swear we threw a pass to the quarterback standing down the sideline. He walked into the end zone for 29 yards in a playoff game. And then the following week, and then the following week, I put the, the backup, you know, the quarterback that played, you know, that played receiver for me and my current and the quarterback at the same time in the backfield, and they lined up in the pistols. And uh, my quarterback was about 220, 6'220". He was a big kid, big, big kid. And he was a physical kid. He played linebacker before. So, you know, he wasn't too, you know, he wouldn't shy away from contact. So I lined him up in the pistol and I shifted him out to like he was at, at an H position. He led on the outside quarterback stretch and it went for like 45 yards in the end zone in a semifinal game. And it was unbelievable because it was catchy because the defense didn't know who was going to take the snap. and. Sure enough, the athlete took the snap and took it 45 down the sideline for a touchdown in the semifinal game. 
<laughs> that's awesome. So I think I, that's awesome. So I think that's like, you know, I think that was one of those moments where I just played around with personnel and next thing you know, I took a Sandlot play and we just, you know, <laughs> made something out of it. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be that difficult. Uh, get your get your really good players the ball and, and find some creative ways to get them the ball, like you said. Oh, I love trick plays. I mean, I could honestly tell you, like, I'll sit there and watch trick plays in college, you know, whether it's <laughs> college or pro level. Like, I'm always looking, you know, for ways that, you know, your free points. And I'll ask guys, I'll have contests in practice, like, who can throw the ball? Like, trying to find out who played uh, quarterback in youth football and give them opportunities to throw the football. I got a couple of trick plays up my sleeve that will be unleashed this year. Hopefully I could probably, like, you know, at you, I'll at you guys on Twitter in one of them. Nice. Yeah, make, make sure you do that. That sounds like that sounds like my nightmare, Coach. I'm uh, that scares the that's that's why I can never be an offense coordinator. It's gonna be an offensive line coach. It just scares me to death. <laughs> but it's awesome when you gotta it, know the right it, situation. That's right. I never do. So I'm I'm glad you do, Coach. I've I've been hurt by a bunch of them. So it obviously works. <laughs> Co- yeah, coach man, Harper's just... Coach Harper's the kind of guy though that thinks a pass is a trick play though. So. Oh wow! No, 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 no. We threw it. We threw it a lot when I was playing, uh, but but the trick play, you know, trick plays just scare me to death. We we did. Uh, we've hit a few big ones. I say that we've hit a few big ones. But if I ever had to call it, I, I don't think I would have. it would be too much of a coward to ever call it if I was the guy uh, behind the play call. I mean, you gotta live with you gotta live with your bullet, man. You just gotta trust your trust your gut and just you know knowing that you gotta know when that moment's right. There's certain situations in games where you know you're going to take that shot, kind of, you know, not kind of stage, but, you know, you just have, you just got that feeling, you know, when momentum's on your side, when you're going to take that shot down the field, whether it's do a trick play or whether, you know, do your typical passing game. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask that is, is when you do call some of those, I know like uh, special teams that I've been around guys that, you know, they want to hit a few trick plays early in the year uh, just to make sure, um, you know, uh, punt return teams are are either safe or uh, it's something that they're really working on because they've seen that we'll do it. Um, is is any of that? Does any of that play into when you call some of those uh, you know quote unquote trick plays, uh, or is it is it just you're just trying to find um, uh, an easy like you said six points at at times in some of your big games? Uh, you know, you just try to find that moment where you need to you know get that big play. You know, being in the like I said, running kind of like a West Coast office where, you know, you're running that, that intermediate passing game. I kind of, you know, you try to find a way to, you know, get down the field fast where, like I told you, I've never had like a quarterback that has that has had a strong arm, right? Mm. So I try to find ways to, you know, find free bones where we're throwing the ball, quote unquote, a shot at 20 yards, you know? Like, I don't really look to throw those 40-yard, you know, bombs just because they're, you know, they're harder, you know, they're a lot harder to complete. And again, like I said, I haven't coached a, a quarterback yet where he has, where he's had tremendous arm strength. So it's like for me, a shot for me in my offense is that twenty-yard completion. So definitely, if I could squeeze a, a trick play leading to that, I'm definitely going to find a way to take advantage of that. And it, and it definitely, like I said, taking a shot in, in my offense is, you know, being effective in the intermediate offense. You know taking what the defense gives us underneath. So now you force their hand and pressing us. And then now, you know, you're throwing a shot at about 20, 25 yards. Next thing you know, that's, that's your big play. 
Coach, I was going to ask you too, you know, about, about like your, your trick plays. Is, is that something that, you know, it's a, it's a game plan like, hey, we're going to practice it for one week? Or is that something where it's like, you know what, maybe I've got a, a bank of a few of them, you know, three, four, five of them that you practice maybe for a few weeks. And then, you know, hey, this, we're, we're going to use this against St. Against Peter's or we're going to use this against, you know, so-and-so in the playoffs. Is that something that you kind of, you know, map out during the season or it's like, man, Here's something I see on film. We, we got to run this this week. So it's two ways I go about it. Look at film, like you said, you know, seeing what we, what we could get if we were to, you know, ran a, you know, run a trick play based off of a bootleg action where they're not covering the quarterback. But then it's also knowing your personnel. Like, I'm not going to throw a halfback pass if, my, if I know my, my halfback can't throw. It's, you know, Becoming familiar with your athletes that you have on your team, like like I said two years ago, I had a quarterback, you know, a receiver that used to play quarterback, and I moved him to play receiver. So it's like knowing your personnel, knowing what you have on your roster, to seeing, hey, you know, can we run a trick play with these guys? Sometimes it's sometimes it's a year where we won't run a trick play. You know what I mean? It's just a matter of knowing what you have on your roster, who who is an athlete in youth football, and then finding ways to utilize their skills in other ways. Coach, do you guys hit any uh, any jet sweep stuff out of under center? No, we haven't got there yet with the with the jet sweep. I mean, we played around with it last year in the in the playoffs, just you know, just trying to do it. But executing in the games, we've only been able to do it in uh in the shotgun. I got you. Yeah, that's. Uh, I just asked because because it's something that we kind of toyed with a little bit last year, and we never really. Uh, you know, we kind of faked it one time, ran inside zone off of it um, and power off of it, but we never really handed it, but we never necessarily had a, a, a guy that could really take it either. So uh, I'd right. seen a, a few colleges, a few colleges got really into it, and then obviously a, a couple NFL teams get to it. So, uh, but I hadn't seen really any high school teams utilize it yet, and, and we kind of ran into a few difficulties with it too last year. Kind of crazy because years, you know, back in the early 2000s, you know, jet sweeps were popular with handing it off. Nowadays, you see everybody, you know, flicking it out of the gun. So mm-hmm. now everybody's, you know, resorting back to, you know, trying to find a way to hand it off. Kind of like one of those things where now, every nowadays, every everyone's in the gun. How many teams do you really see, you know, take under center snap? You know, where you got your quarterback dropping back on the actual pass. It's like football, kind of not kind of, it evolves away from its norms, you know? Right. So it's like now everything that used to go on, you know, back in the early 2000s and the year, you know, years before, is starting to formulate its way back around. It's just like, it's just like history. Like it's, it's like that in fashion. It's like that in music. History starting to repeat, repeat itself. Coach, is that something with quarterbacks? And I'm speaking a little out of my ass because I don't know a ton about quarterbacks, but uh, I would have to assume that that drops and as important as that is, it is in the West Coast. Um, is it something that you've got to change when they're in the gun compared to um, when they are under center with with timing? And um, I, I believe old old school West Coast offense was always off of three steps or off of whatever it was. Yep. They had a certain footwork to it. I've got to imagine that changes a little bit in the gun. It's, does the footwork change when they go from under to gun, or, or is it pretty married up? It changes. It changes to a degree where, you know, when you're quick game in the gun, you're not, you're not moving. You're rocking and throwing. Whereas, whereas, you know, quick game under center, you know, you're not just taking a snap underneath the center and standing there throwing. 
you know, you got to take your, your, you know, your quick, your quick three on the drop back in a quick game from under center. So, you know, there, there's, there's a vary to it, but again, it's not, it's not, it's not a, you know, a drastic, it's not a drastic change or a drastic, you know, learning curve for the quarterback position. I think it's more so, you know, just getting them to understand, you know, some of the, you know, that quick release, understanding that, hey, you're not going to find the leases here. You're not going to be able to, you know, dress your hand up the right way on the ball. You Sometimes you're going to have to throw the ball without laces. And, you know, that's, that's kind of like, you know, you know, a learning curve, especially coming, you know, coming to high school, because think about it in the youth level, you always, you know, you teach the quarterback at the youth level to get the laces, find the laces, find the laces. Whereas in high school, you get there and you're like, hey, in quick game, we just need you to rock and throw. So it's a learning, it's a learning curve, but not, it's, it's, it's a learning curve, but not so much a learning curve. Yeah, I think too, I mean, we, you know, a lot of people had said, you know, going to the shotgun, they felt like quarterbacks would get a little bit lazier with their footwork. I mean, I, I kind of agree, but I also kind of don't agree because I think with the advent of the shotgun, there's so many more things that the quarterback can do, be it, you know, the run game, the RPO game, you know, having to, to flip his feet and throw both sides. I mean, I think, I think it just adds a, a little bit different complexity to it. You know, maybe he's just not working on, man, I really got to get back and get away from the, the center. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Agreed. But I also think when you go on the center, you know, now you – you're able to hold those linebackers, right? Mm-hmm. You get to you get to hold those guys, especially in a, in a play action game. It allows you, you know, to to get you know be able to take a 12 yard drag and put it right behind where the backers were. You know, they they can't fly out of there on pat in passing situations. So it, it it keeps the defense relatively honest when you're under, when you're under center. Yeah, play action fakes are so much better under center. There's no doubt about that. that. I think it makes our run game, you know, we're quite a bit under center and it, and it makes our run game just so much better. And then, like you said, yeah, when we want to max protect and, and go two-man route, um, gives us time and gives those guys time to get open and, and get them the ball. Yep, it definitely, it definitely gives you, you know, I think, you know, being able to, you know, switch back and forth from the gun, from gun and uh, under center, it, it just, you know, it keeps, it keeps the defense honest. It doesn't allow them to, you know, run run out of there on passing situations in either in either in either formation, whether the quarterback's under or or in a gun. Yeah, I agree. I think, it, and again, it adds to the defensive uh, defensive coordinator's breakdown too. You know, what are their tendencies under center? What are their tendencies in the gun? What are their tendencies in the backs and pistol? It just creates a lot more, you know, data that he has to go through. And, and guess what? The the kids have to be able to understand those tendencies too. And Hey, we'll we'll get those kids. Not to, enough time. Well, yep. Yep, not enough time. Not enough time. Not enough time, especially in the high school level. With you know, it's not like college where you have you can schedule meetings or something like that. Because you know, high school is so much different between class, travel time, getting the kids out of there to travel, however far they got to travel to get home. Definitely not enough time to prepare for everything. You know, uh, a coordinator or a team could you know unleash within weeks of a game planning. Coach, how, how conscious are you of, of looking at some of your own tendencies? Obviously, uh, everyone's going to look at what de- defenses bring and what's their third down blitz tendencies and, and some of their things. But um, it's obviously extremely important to kind of know your own tendencies. Is that something that you look at throughout the year or is that something that you, you know, kind of batch and you look at halfway through the season and then right before the playoffs? Or, or how do you kind of treat some of your self-scout stuff? So – we definitely look at 
you know, our tendencies and our, you know, we'll, what we give away, you know, like sometimes when, you know, you uh, line up in the gun and you put the back to the right side, you know, nine times, you know, sometimes defense can tell, hey, the back to the right, he's running zone, you know, running whatever run play to the left. So it's like we spend a lot of time, like, you, we break the seasons into 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 thirds. So after mm-hmm. like four games, you, you, you try to look at uh, you try to look at you know your tendencies or what you you know what you're doing and finding ways to make things look the same but doing something totally different. So like I again like I said, you know we break the we break the season into thirds, and after each fourth, you know after each fourth game, you know you try to figure out our tendencies and find other ways to do things that we like but breaking our tendencies. Coach, man, I, I'm heading to, uh, to New York City again in, uh, in actually July. So July 2nd through the 6th, so I'm actually pretty jacked about that. But, you know, t- talk to me a little bit about living, you know, in New York. You know I mean? Do, do you own a car? Do you even bother driving places? Is it all, you know, taking the, the subway and the rail? You know, talk a little bit about kind of the craziness about, you know, you know living in the urban jungle. I mean, you appreciate it for what it's for. Uh, you definitely appreciate the diversity of people in New York City. Uh, you appreciate the four seasons. You know, some places don't get, you know, the four seasons. And you, we actually get to experience what it's like to sometimes have a white Christmas, you know, with snow and everything falling down. But at the same time, I will say New York City is very crowded. Uh, <laughs> it is, man. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. It's very crowded. It seems like there's construction everywhere. And they're building new buildings everywhere, everywhere you turn. Uh, you're definitely going to get a wide variety of food. Make sure you, uh, when you get here, you taste some pizza. Get you a, a everything oh, yeah. bagel. Get you, get you an everything bagel. And take a day or two sightseeing, man. We, we definitely, I, I can say as a New Yorker, we take for granted some of the beautiful things that we have here, like, you know, our bridge, uh, the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. We kind of take those things for granted being a, a traditional New Yorker, but I definitely recommend when you come in and visit, you, you take those things head on and, you know, you learn to appreciate them, you know. I, I think it's cool just how many how many pro sports teams you guys have. I mean, just speaking from Oklahoma, where we had zero until the Thunder came in um, a little bit <laughs> after, a little after Katrina, we had nobody, you know. So we were obviously all big uh, OU fans, but no no professional sports teams, and and you guys got two or three uh, per sport. So, you, yeah, you know, man. you want to watch any sports, it's there. And you've got those caliber people around. It is a really cool uh, deal to be able to see any of that. It has everything to do with the media market, right? You know, you know how it goes. Anything, you know, dealing with coverage, coverage brings money. And New York City is a, is a staple of that. Coach, yeah. So I gotta ask, man. So you know, where where are your where are your loyalties? How you divide? I mean, obviously you gotta be Jets, right? And then, uh, and then I'm wondering, baseball. I mean, you Yankees, Mets. I mean, how do you how do you kind of divide it up when you're when you're in the city there? Because you kind of gotta be one or the other, don't you? You do. I mean, watching watching football, I could watch a Jet game before I could watch a Giants game. <laughs> watching basketball. I'm, not, I'm 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 going to be honest. I'm not a Knicks or a Nets fan. I'm actually a Lakers fan. I'm a, and I'm a Lakers fan from way back. And Ma- Magic guy. Uh, see, Magic's a little bit before me, but like I'm 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 a huge Kobe Bryant fan. There we go. Like I'm a huge Kobe fan. But uh, well, football wise, yeah, again, the Jets. 
I'm a Laker fan, but if I had to watch it, if I had to pick a game, I, I went to the Knicks game when the Lakers played this past this past uh, March. I was at the the game when LeBron came to the Garden. Um, yeah, if I had to decide baseball, I'll watch a Met game. <laughs> now, I, yeah, I'll watch a Met game now. I mean, growing up, you were a big Derek Jeter. You were, I mean, everybody was a Derek Jeter fan, so I, I watched the Yankees <laughs> when I was a kid. But, you know, baseball is one of those, like, where I, I kind of went with the flow of it. I didn't really too much have, like, a passion for it or, or want to for it. But See, I was, a Laker, I was a Laker fan growing up, too, but it was because of Shaq. I loved Shaq. Yeah. Loved the way he played. That was that was uh, that was my guy. And then um, I hear all these rumors about uh, Durant going to the Knicks. So if that happens, I can't be. A, I've got to be an adamant against the Knicks fan because uh, oh, yeah. we're still we're still, uh, we're still all real hurt by KD here. You recovering? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't I don't know that we'll ever recover unless he he comes back like LeBron did. Then uh, then maybe we'll we'll take him back. But right now we're still all hurt. Well, I mean, you guys, you guys had a killer squad back then, but oh, uh, we had to trade off Harden, and then uh, you know Durant left, and uh, Westbrook and Paul George—they'll get it figured out, hopefully. Yep. <laughs> well, coach, kind of running up on an hour now, but uh, the last question I always love to ask is when you when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Uh I always look – if I had to look at something and say, wow, you know, that this is impressive, I want my guys to do it, it's, you know, seeing if those guys run down the field, you know, on those, uh, on those long runs, seeing if they're playing through the whistle and not to the whistle, you know, seeing if they're in on the pile, pushing the pile. You know, they usually – you know, guys do that a lot at the college level, push the, pushing the pile. But, you know, in high school, it's like once, once the running back passes the first level, guys tend to just loaf and – jogs to the football but I always take an eye out for those guys who run to the football chase the ball whether it's you know you know just in, you know just being in the area if there's a fumble or something like that those are the those are the things that I appreciate and I try to point out to our linemen that hey that that team got their linemen chasing the ball pushing the pile I want I want to encourage our guys to do the same thing coach I I also forgot because yeah you being at Rutgers I didn't even think about it but then when I was there I looked was uh, the big injury to Legrand. Were you there when when that happened? I was on the field when that happened. When Eric got hurt. What What is that? And and, and it doesn't have to be. You know, you don't have to get into into it. I guess. But what is it like? Because uh, you know, everyone thinks when we're playing, it's like we're bulletproof, right? Nothing can ever happen. And my whole college career, nothing bad ever happened to any of my teammates. Other than I, I actually, we had a, a DJ Hayden got a um, really bad heart thing, but he luckily got saved. But we didn't have any just huge injuries like that. What is that like, you know, when you're you know, teammate, you're on the field and that happens, and now you're kind of faced with that whole thing and, and being around that. Obviously, he's he's seems like he's come out of it and, and an awesome person, it seems like. But, I mean, during that time and you're seeing your teammate down, I'm, I'm sure just unbelievable emotions around the, the whole thing. Absolutely. You start to, you start to second-guess and – doubt yourself when you step on the football field it's 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 so real something like that happens right we, like you said you think you're bulletproof you think you know something like that doesn't happen with the sport but it happens like it's it's on the back of each helmet like there's a warning sign right that some of the injuries may be fatal or you can be severely hurt mm-hmm. in Eric's case you know he was severely hurt but I can tell you it hasn't changed who he who he is as a person and I guess 
speaking from, you know, being his teammate and, you know, being a friend of his, you, you learn to appreciate the opportunity you get to play football. I can tell you after seeing, you know, Eric in that moment, you, I never took for granted after that moment, you know, playing the game. You, you, you just appreciate it so much more that you're able. And it's kind of like this attitude that my coach, that Coach Fleck used to say to, to say to us, he used to say, you get to practice, not that you have to practice. And mm-hmm. that's something I religiously preach to my guys that you get to. Because at any moment, the game can be taken from you, whether it's time ticking out where, you, you, you know, you aged out and you just can't play anymore or something remotely happened on the football field where you get injured. So you definitely find an appreciation for the game. And, and, you know, you just wish that, you know, something like that doesn't happen again in a lifetime. Man, Coach, man, isn't, isn't that the truth, man? We've all, we've all got those, those marked days, and we may as well enjoy it and, and have as much fun as we can while, while we can, man. And uh, that being said, I've, I've had an absolute blast for, for the hour being able to talk to you. And, you know, I, I look forward to, to getting out to NYC. And if I get a chance, man, I'd, I'd love to stop by the, the high school and see what you guys got going on out there. Absolutely. If you're in the Big Apple, we'll touch bases and – I'll definitely make sure I at you guys when we uh, run that trick play. I definitely want to get that on. Uh, <laughs> I love it. On your, on your air. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.